The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. King Herod heard of Jesus, for his name had become known. Some said, John the Baptizer has been raised from the dead. That is why these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod had sent and seized John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for, to you, for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was much perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will grant it. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the baptizer. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard and gave orders to bring his head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. I've preached on this scene a few times, so uh, some points will be familiar, but others, uh, I was reading a few interesting commentaries yesterday, um, and just kind of was struck again by the, sometimes, you know, we read through this scene, and because maybe we, we know it, we're not as shocked as we should be when we read it, and I always found that um, whenever I go down to the, to the National Gallery, uh, and you go in there to, to the gallery, and you have the Caravaggio paintings, and you have the one painting which is of this scene, right? It's of the head of John the Baptist by Caravaggio being carried in uh, on the platter. And it is, he's kind of managed to capture at least somewhat in that painting uh, the shock of that moment. And you see kind of in Herodias's daughter's face in that painting what appears to be maybe a bit of regret and remorse at what she has done when she's faced with the full shock of what she has asked for, which is the head of John the Baptist on the platter. Um, and so a couple of points that I was reading yesterday, one just to reiterate, which is you have um, what one of the commentators points out, which is that in King Herod you have a type of antichrist. 
He is everything that Christ is not. He is someone who is completely emerged in his own passions and desires, in his own disordered desires, in his own life of sin, and he does everything that he can within his power to protect that, to defend his own right to live according to his own desires and his own sinful inclinations. And then what we can see manifest in him is all of the effects of sin. Sin disquiets the soul. It causes turmoil interiorly. And that turmoil, depending on the gravity of sin, eventually manifests itself exteriorly in erratic behavior. And so what we see in Herod is the manifestation of his inner turmoil, his inner paranoia, all of the things that can creep in to a troubled and sinful soul. And so he seeks to do things and to protect what he has even though what he has is pitiful. He's one of the sons of Herod, who was obviously the Herod when Christ was born. But as we've said before, he's one of the sons that managed to survive the tyrannical reign of his father. His father had killed off many of his own children for fear of his own land and power being taken from him by his children. And then eventually, some of those children who had survived had inherited small portions of a divided kingdom. And so he has all of the kind of pomp and circumstance in his personality as if he was Alexander the Great. But his kingdom was very small and pathetic. And what he was, what he was protecting in terms of an earthly sense was very small and pathetic. And yet he has this elevated idea of himself and who he is. And so he is this kind of antichrist, as is proposed. But then Herodias, as this commentator pointed out, is a type of anti-Mary, where Our Lady takes her children and encourages them towards virtue and a life of grace and a life in union with God. What we see here with Herodias is that she encourages her children into sin, into murder. King Herod heard of Jesus, it says, in the beginning of the gospel, because the Lord was becoming known. And you can see there was many conversations going on around his court with regards to who Christ was. And all of the presumptions were that he was one of the prophets, or John the Baptist, they can tell in Christ the same holiness that they perceived in John the Baptist, but still unaware that Christ was the source of that holiness in John the Baptist. They could recognize in Christ that his words had a similar ring to what was preached by John the Baptist, but they did not yet realize that he was the word that inspired John the Baptist to preach. And so in his troubled conscience, as often happens when we hear of Christ, and this is the power of the scriptures, is that they do to us also what the hearing of Christ did to Herod. The scriptures are consoling, as we've said before, the word of God as God is proclaimed to us, but especially in the gospels where we hear of Jesus and his life. It is consoling, it is beautiful, it is all of those things, but it is also challenging. When we allow the word of God to break into our mind and into our heart, it should also trouble us, as we've said before. It should trouble our consciences where they need to be troubled. 
It should trouble our inadequacies, the ways in which we have failed to live up to what God demands of us. We should be troubled by that word, but not a troubling that leads us to despair, not a troubling that leads us to think that there is no remedy for what is highlighted in us that needs change. It is a troubling that should push us to change, that should push us to the remedy that is Christ himself, that should push us to his grace. What happens, though, is when Herod hears of Jesus, you can see his conscience is deeply troubled, and his most recent and worst sin is immediately brought to his mind. This is John the Baptist, the one I beheaded, the one I murdered, and murdered for no other reason than he had made a rash vow and promise. As Scripture says, we should never make any vow lightly. And yet Herod, as soon as his passions are inflamed, he vows half of his kingdom away like a fool. And then in order to kind of put up this kind of appearance of being a man of his word, as if he had any type of virtue, he then stands by that promise that he made so rashly to give half of his kingdom. And when the girl comes back to ask for the head of John the baptizer, he sends off and he participates in the sin of murder. And then he has all the guests at this banquet participate in the same sin when no one does anything when the head of John the Baptist is brought in on a platter. Lastly, I think I might have mentioned this before, but the same commentator notes, he says this is a type of anti-Eucharist. This is what happens, which is in opposition to Christ where the Lord comes for the forgiveness of sins and he offers a sacrifice which is himself. But you have here in Herod at his banquet in which he himself is celebrated, you have for the defense of sin and the protection of sin, the sacrifice of the one who is trying to call him out from that. And so it is a complete opposite to the work of Christ complete opposite to the mystery of the Eucharist. But then, just to end, I read another commentary which had a very beautiful point. The last lines of this tragic and despicable scene have a hint of love and redemption in them. It says, when his disciples heard of it, because as the tradition has it, is that he was beheaded and then his body was simply thrown over the wall, and his disciples, when they heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And this commentator made a beautiful point. He says, what we see here is that humble piety and love always have the last word. The piety and love of his disciples coming and taking his body with devotion and laying it in a tomb and performing all the proper, proper things that they should have done for this one whom they loved, this has the final word. While Herod has these great acts of sin, it is humble acts of love that transform the world. Amen.